1: Hi there and welcome to the Stock Club Podcast, coming to you from the top floor of my Wall Street HQ here in Dublin, Ireland. In this episode, we're going to talk about Disney's new streaming efforts, how our analysts would spend a $3,000 tax refund, and some of the stocks that we think could be the next Dell or Netflix. So on the last episode of Stock Club, we talked about Apple TV Plus and Rory, you weren't very impressed by Apple's efforts. In the meantime, Disney has unveiled their own streaming service, inventively called Disney Plus. Are you more impressed by Disney's effort, Rory?
0: Well, I think everyone is. And if I just like I think when I was watched the Disney Plus presentation, all I could kind of think was to compare it to Apple's and how much of a difference there was, you know. Apple wheeled out all these celebrities basically told us very little about the product in terms of like what would be available when it launched what price it would be even when it was going to actually come out it's yeah. like, it actually even kind of silly that they had an event for it you know I mean they could have done that with a coming soon tweet just probably, coming soon yeah, yeah that would have been way more appropriate than having an entire event uh, based around it um, and, and then like compare that to what Disney did they'd they had a few celebrities, kind of the, the top actors from the Marvel Universe, but they actually showed us the platform. Like, you actually got to see how it would work. They had clips from upcoming hit movies on it. They told us how much it would cost, what part of the catalogue would be included, how much they were going to spend on it, how many subscribers they expected, when they expect to be profitable. Like, they basically told us everything. Yeah. Even the fact that they might bundle it with the ESPN Plus and Hulu. And all I could kind of imagine watching it was like, there must be some Apple executive watch- executives watching this going we should have bought Disney. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. Really, if you think yeah. about it, like Disney Plus is exactly what they want mm-hmm. from Apple Plus. You yeah. know, it is a streaming service that's family friendly. It has premium content. It's got a huge amount of intellectual property that has proven time and time again to attract audiences. I, I, like. Can you imagine like Apple unveiling their next phone two years down the line and in order to show how great their new screen is they'd be able to take you know a clip from the next Marvel film or the next Star Wars film or the next Avatar film which Disney owns now and show it like live in the event like yeah. isn't that just so yeah. Apple yes and I'd say they're probably <laughs> kicking themselves now
1: speaking of premium content they're already just so we're, we're, we're clear of all the things that Disney will be adding to this they'll have everything from the Disney brand itself from Marvel from Pixar from Star Wars from National Geographic and They'll have all the program they also got from the Fox acquisition too. So that's 30 seasons of The Simpsons will be on Disney Plus straight away. Uh, there's other things like um, classic movies like The Sound of Music uh, and Malcolm in the Middle as well, which I always loved. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah I mean, look, they've just got h- a huge amount of stuff. Even like the day one stuff they're releasing is already enough for me to think it's a no-brainer for yeah. most households yeah. in America. Yeah, At, That's seven, was it $7 a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You pay twice that easily. Yeah. yeah, especially if you have kids because the problem Netflix has is that they have to keep generating new content over and over and over again and they've seen a problem where people actually uh, subscribe to Netflix watch what they want and then Uh, cancel the subscription until the next season of something that they want comes out Mm -hmm. Disney doesn't have that problem because kids will watch the same thing over and over and over and over again and they just have all that content right away available so when Disney said they're only going to spend you know two billion dollars a year in content in content generation in the next few years they don't have to spend that much they're already yeah I mean they're spending billions on their big blockbuster movies which will obviously go down into the service as they become available yeah um but yeah, I just think it, it's it's just a no-brainer. And I doubt that $7 per month uh, fee is going to remain that way for very yeah.
1: long. Well, you mentioned Netflix there and, you know, the $7 a month, it's 45% cheaper than Netflix. Netflix's standard price. Emmett, as a Netflix shareholder, would you be worried about this or is it, will it fit in with many households as part of a Netflix subscription, do you think?
2: I think they're very complementary products, James. Now, time will prove if people uh, want one or the other. Yeah, I think they complement each other very well for the reasons that Rory explained. My children uh, would happily consume Disney uh, content you know non-stop and netflix you have to dig a little deeper and i think their content certainly on this side of the atlantic is a little more orientated for people at our age and really the way i see it going is that houses will stack up a couple of subscriptions and for those homes that haven't yet cut the cord um it's gone you know it's really now down to a couple of subscription services that'll
0: eventually add up to the price of a cable bill <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well perhaps. you'd hope well you'd hope not you'd hope well you, I mean, even if it does you're getting such better yeah, well, uh, that's content but could you do you think you could just add the valuation of Netflix onto Disney now if they have like a, if they get, end up getting 90 million subscribers in the next few years Netflix is valued at what 150 billion is that like, could you add another billion onto Disney's valuation? I don't know. I'm not sure valuation math works like that, but
2: perhaps. Well, <laughs> like,
0: so let's imagine they have like, imagine they had 100 million subscribers and they've they up the price to what Netflix yes, is charging. Yeah. That's an extra 10 billion a year in revenue. Yeah. So yeah. that's a huge add to the business. Absolutely investors
1: were definitely happy about disney's announcement the stock jumped at the time of recording now it's up more than 13 percent since the announcement and you know disney shares had really kind of been in the doldrums the last few years so it was nice to see disney get a bit of a boost like that
2: what? it's amazing a company valued at about a quarter of a trillion dollars yeah. to jump uh 12 it's yeah. just unbelievable i could not believe you know, the the effect that this new uh, Disney Plus had on, on the valuation of the business. And you're right, Rory, we might see that over the years as they land grab around the world that they've got a whole new catalyst that we just, at, at this moment in time, might even look, make Disney look like good value today.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, like the th- I think the thing about Disney as well is it's not just about the, the money generated by movies. It never has been. It's all about getting people into that ecosystem where the kids love the... Um, characters, they love the films, then they want to go to Disney World, they want to go on the cruises, they want to buy the games, they want to buy the uh, toys. It's it's a whole distribution pipeline of content. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Just the fact that they're exposing more people to this in a cheap way is always going to be good for the business. Going forward. And
2: as a parent, you can subscribe to Disney Plus And you can safely say to your kids, watch whatever you want, which is just great. Yeah. And I know as a parent, you, with Netflix or with alternatives, and even despite parental controls, you still have a caution there that there are are content, there are shows, rather, that you'd prefer they didn't see. Mm. Yeah. Uh, So moving on then, and I think this
1: podcast is fast becoming um, just a discussion about IPOs. This week, or well, last week, I should say, Uber released their S1 in preparation of their IPO. And this is probably one of the the most anticipated IPOs of the year. Um, Rory, what what is the S1, though, just for anyone who doesn't know? What does the S1 mean?
0: Uh, The S1 is just the the very first kind of offering document that a company puts forward. It kind of details... um, it kind of, it, so, the, the first version of it is is kind of a bit loose on, on what kind of amount of shares they're offering and how much it's going to be offering them on. But it kind of gives you the first full audited copy of their financials. It gives you a good breakdown of what management thinks. It's, it's kind of like their first annual report, really. Okay. Um, and just, yeah, it gives you let's, let's uh, public investors in on what's going on in the business. So
1: we can see their health kind of and how are Uber looking.
0: Uh, Uber is a very tough one to judge. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a giant document, a couple of hundred pages. Um, some notes from it, the the CEO uh, wrote a letter, as they usually do, talking about it. And I, this was one quote that I grabbed, which I thought was important. He said, when I joined Uber as CEO, many people asked me why I would leave the stability of my previous job. For one, that was anything but. My answer was simple. Uber is a once in a generation company and the opportunity ahead is enormous. Uh, I think I kind of agree with him on that.
1: Yeah, well, it is. It's 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 kind of redefined the whole way we think about transport in in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, completely. And like I, I we talked about this a while ago in terms of what IPOs we were most excited about. And Emmett, you said Airbnb, and and I was gonna, I kind of agree with you on that. But Uber was definitely my second one because mm-hmm. I really do think they are the most disruptive company in the world at the moment. Yeah. Um. Now, in terms of how the business is going, it's not. That great. Okay. Uh, they lost three point three billion dollars in operations last year. So that's excluding the money that they made from selling parts of their um, Southeast Asia business and their Russia business. Uh, they've they had a metric in there which I thought was a bit fuzzy. It's month. It's their uh, monthly active users number, okay. uh, which they have at the moment at ninety one million, which is a really annoying metric because. Um, They talk about it all the time. They use it as a judge of how well they're performing, but they have combined their core ride-hailing business with their food delivery business in that number. Uber Eats, yeah. Which basically makes that metric useless because, like, if you're gonna you're gonna pay for like a five mile journey, you're gonna pay for someone to take you from point A to point B. You're gonna pay an awful lot more than if you're gonna get someone to pick you up some food five miles away and drop it to you. Yeah. So that metric is just kind of wacky, and I don't really know why they um why they decided to combine them like that so they're not easily comparable like you know a taxi ride isn't the same yeah. as a delivery charge yeah I mean if, like for a $10 taxi ride you're going to pay what well, a $2 delivery charge it's it's they're, they're just the totally different numbers totally different businesses yeah and um, some other thing, interesting notes, the growth has definitely slowed. Okay. Um, they had doubled their revenues uh, last year. It's, it's up about 40% this year. Okay, Now, obviously, that's just the law of big numbers is coming into effect there. But they've also lost market share. Uh, according to Second Measure Incorporated, which analyzes credit card transactions, Uber had 78% market share two years ago. That's down to 67% at the moment. Um, so, yeah, it's it's one of those things with, new IPOs, you always have to be wondering why are they going public now? Like, what is the purpose of going public now? And a lot of the times, or maybe that's a bit unfair to say a lot of the times, but sometimes it's because the early investors look at the business, they look at how the business model is going right now and they see the the end of the growth story okay um and that could be what's happening here
1: so it's kind of putting it public to get that little bit of an extra cash injection well to get out they want yeah they want a liquidity
0: event like i mean look at what happened with blue apron snap Uh, (laughs) yes Yeah. snap snap. blue apron in particular that was just a disaster yeah um clearly saw the business model was failing and decided to get out before that happened uh but yeah, Uber's a, Uber's a weird one. They uh, like the growth up. So you could say growth is slowing. The ride share business has basically been flat for the last uh, few quarters. But at the same time, as they point out in the S one, they've only penetrated one percent of the market okay. as they see it.
1: As they see it, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so that was the some of the new recent news stories from the past two weeks. Moving on, then we usually do our company we never talk about segment here. But, as many of our American listeners know, Monday was tax deadline day in the US. Here at My Wall Street, we've been doing a bit of research on the topic over the past few days, and in particular, tax refunds, which I'm sure is everyone's favourite part of tax season. According to the IRS, the average tax refund for a US citizen has been roughly $3,000 per year for the past 10 years. Um, in an article you can read exclusively in the My Wall Street app right now, we've calculated how much you would have made if you'd simply invested that sum into Apple, Amazon and Netflix over the past 10 years. But instead of the usual segment here, Evan and Rory, I want to ask you guys, if you'd got $3,000 as a tax refund right now, how would you be spending it?
2: Emmett? Well, simply, I'd be investing it, James. has <laughs> Predictable answer, number one. I didn't tell you to say that. No. <laughs> There's a, there's a sequence in which someone should use a, a windfall like that. And very first, I think most financial advisors would advise us to retire short term high interest debt. Yeah. So if I came into 3000 bucks and I had some credit card debt sitting out there, mm. the first thing I do uh, would be to pay that down. Yeah. Um. So then let me go two routes on my answer. The first is if I was a brand new investor okay. and had 3000 dollars, I'd probably take that money and divide it equally amongst six companies. Now, I I know we have a question coming at us from one of our listeners about What's the next Netflix? And I'm going to attempt to answer that with lots of caveats and T's and C's. And I think when we go there, I'll describe some of those companies. But the first thing I do is I take that 3,000 bucks and I'd personally put 506 different companies. Okay. That's if I was a brand new investor. If I was a little okay. more mature, I had an existing portfolio. I would do what I've done for the last 20 years, which is add some cash to my favorites. Yeah. And maybe
0: open one or two new positions. Yeah. Rory? Uh... Yeah, I would first, well, I'm going to I'm gonna buy myself something first. Okay. I'm going nice, to buy myself yeah, a new phone. Fair enough. <laughs> my, cur, my current phone is literally on its on its last legs. So I'd buy myself a new phone, a nice okay, expensive yeah. new Apple iPhone.
1: So how much do you have left then?
0: So let's just imagine <laughs> I've, yeah, let's imagine I have two grand left. I'd uh, open up a new position in a company that I really like, uh, which at the moment I'm going to say is Eventbrite. Okay. And I'd add to one of my favorites, which at the moment is Viva Systems. Viva Systems. And is there any reason why you'd add now just for the windfall or? Why would I add now? Yeah. Oh, well, just, you know, <laughs> put money in your, put, reinvest money in your favourite companies is always a good plan to grow on your personal wealth.
1: Sounds good. Um, so apart from that tax refund article in the My Wall Street app, there's plenty of new stuff too. Um, We added a new stock two weeks ago. Emmett, it's one of your favourites. It so is, you can, and I
2: invested in it. So you
1: can check that out in the app now. Um, Rory, you've also added a new expert opinion piece. Um which is about IPOs, I believe.
0: Yeah, it's basically a longer version of what I just talked about there. (laughs) Hot topic at the minute.
1: Um, So you can check out all of that stuff in the My Wall Street app right now. Um, Right, we're moving on to one of the the favourite sections of the podcast, which is Jargon Busters. So every two weeks, um, you, the listeners, send in questions that you'd like either Emmett or Rory to bust. So these can be questions about investing or maybe even companies in particular. The uh, first question we have here comes in from uh, one of our followers, Brendan Rogers, on Twitter. He asked about um, renewable energy companies. So he's kind of looking, is there any um, companies that are taking advantage, advantage of the transfer to renewable energy? Or is it even a segment worth diversifying into? So I suppose the obvious answer is Tesla at the moment, but outside of Tesla,
0: in terms of investing in renewable energy. Yeah, components. or even
1: the even the segment or the industry in the, general.
0: Yeah, so there's a couple of industries in the world of investing that I think you really should avoid unless you have some sort of industry knowledge. Yeah. um, You know, there's people who work, who get paid an awful lot of money in Goldman Sachs just to focus on the banking sector, just to focus on the pharmaceutical sector, and just to focus on the energy sector. Yeah. Those are three in particular that I can kind of, off the top of my head where unless you have some sort of industry knowledge that no one else does, you're probably going to find yourself lost at sea there because it's very hard to pinpoint when the next great renewable energy is going to come out. Yeah. Uh, you know, we looked for a while, there's an ETF a few years ago called TAN, which was all the solar companies, which five years ago, solar power was the big um, hot topic in terms of stock investing. And if you look how that's performed over the last few years, you can see that it's not always as easy as going, oh, there's a trend, we should invest in that.
1: Yeah, so it's it's maybe uh, uh, an industry that the ordinary kind of Investors should stay away from unless they've kind of got well, some
0: insight. Yeah, because it's just not as it's it's not as straightforward as investing in say a software company or a retail yeah. company. There's a huge amount of government regulation involved. You need to know a bit about commodities and commodity pricing and things like that. So, un- unless you have a kind of inside track on something, um, or unless you're willing to spend an awful lot of time researching it, which you know, if you if that's what you want to do, start doing that. But I wouldn't go in blind, uh, just thinking you can invest in it the same way you can invest in kind mm. of a retail company.
2: Okay. I think it's uh it's the perpetual question. I remember 25 years ago looking for the next best green energy investment. It's yeah. it will always be there and and uh, although the obvious answer is Tesla, I think it is also the the best, you know, the best choice for an investor at the moment. Yeah. I remember I think around 1998 buying shares in Ballard Power, I bought shares in Oh Solar something or another, I had a, a whole stack of investments yeah. in, the, let's just call it the green agenda, and uh, the complexities that existed then are still at play today, as as explained by Rory, and it's a very uh, diffuse area and very difficult to try and, and say, yet yeah, that is the one to go for. And even the ETFs, Rory and I spent some time looking for good, green and renewable ETFs, and, and without labouring it, none apparently jumped out at us. Okay,
1: okay. That's very clear. Thanks for that. So, thanks for the question, Brendan. Um, the next question we have here is from Thomas Noonan. Uh, that was sent in through email. And he asked what our thoughts are on Momo, a Chinese social media company.
2: I had a look at them last night. I saw the, thank yeah. you for sending through the question. And uh, my best answer right now is um, leave it with us because <laughs> uh, China is so complex and, yeah. and add the, you know, the mores sort of dating in China and the, uh, way people interact you know yeah.
0: romantically i have to say it's just a little bit outside my circle of competence at the moment yeah it'd be well outside my circle yeah. i mean like uh, even trying to value things like facebook and snapchat and twitter mm-hmm. in the western world yeah very hard it is if you try and then transpose that to a totally different culture with yeah. totally different yeah. way of doing things I yeah mean, it's kind of like even if we looked into it, it would have would would there be value in our assertions,
2: you know? I noticed it was liked by David Gardner and the team over at The Motley Fool in Mm. their Rule Breakers service. And for me, that carries a lot of weight. Uh, Doesn't necessarily mean it's my opinion, but I can tell you just seeing that they recommended it for me would feel that it's uh, an amber to green light, you know, out of the blocks. But personally, I don't understand the business. And um, Motley Fool Rule Breakers... I'm sure, do a very good
0: job of, of analysing it. There's that company YY we had a look at.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we sure did. Give, right. a, give, us a, give us a quick description of what YY is. Well, yeah, it's kind of like um, speed dating, but it's for karaoke, really. Um, <laughs> what you just hop on in there and... I know what's that thing, roulette? Is it a dating roulette and a kind of... Um, like chat roulette, maybe. Kind chat of, roulette, yeah. thank you. Chat roulette, but with music. Well, if I had three thousand dollars now, I know where it'd be going. <laughs> I'm <laughs> um, sure why. Why, by the way, do other things? But yeah. you know, certainly if you're if you're going to be known for something, what better than uh, sing roulette? <laughs> <laughs> um, next question we have in is from Colin Morn,
1: um through email as well, um, and he was asking about Baozun. So recently they offered two hundred twenty-five million dollars in senior convertible notes. So he was wondering, what does it mean by senior
0: convertible notes? Uh, okay uh yes so there's when a company wants to raise money there's kind of two ways they can go about it they can raise debt or they can raise equity yeah. and a senior convertible note is kind of a mixture of both so the convertible the note part of it is that they've issued debt yeah. to someone someone's someone's given them money for for debt which they will pay a coupon on the convertible part is that at a certain price point the debtor can, can basically convert his his debt to stocks okay to, to equity yeah so it's a way for Debtors to kind of put in some money into the business and potentially gain some upside if the company performs really well. Yeah. So uh, what the so column then just added as well there. I see the question. Did that have anything to do with the six percent drop? Yeah, probably because that was added. That was potential equity added. Okay. So the shareholder dilution was occurring there if the if the, if the notes get converted. Okay. Okay.
1: That's pretty clear. And then the last question we have here was from Tommy John on email as well. And he asked you, Emmett. So in the podcast two weeks ago, Emmett, you talked about your investment in Dell and how you'd kind of used Dell as a, as an archetype for your investment in Netflix. And a few years later, and which was a very successful investment uh, for you. So he asked um, that we have a, a section on my wall street app called star stocks. And he kind of was wondering were these star stocks kind of the next Dell or the next Netflix, as you saw it. And, um, do you know? Do you have any specific stocks you think might be the ne- ne- next next next?
0: Yeah, what's the next Dell,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hewlett Packard.
0: Tell
2: us. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, thanks, James. That story completely resonated with a huge number of our listeners because turning one thousand dollars into one point six million dollars in the space of ten years is a super normal event in most people's financial lives, and it's also a super normal event in an investing life, it takes a, a huge amount of, of luck and yeah. it takes a great amount of judgment. And because of that story, the very question that Tommy John, was a Tommy John yeah. sent in, I had heard from other channels. So it almost that question came at me like an orchestra after the podcast. <laughs> and I had to think a little bit about it before this podcast and, yeah. and kind of write up a note on it, uh, which I sent to some friends of My Wall Street. So I guess the first thing I'd say is that, you know, Back when I looked for the next Netflix, which was something like 15 or 16 years ago, um, there, there was a, a hot kind of incubation ground for for businesses that were in the valuation range of between kind of 200, 500 million market cap. Yeah. And a lot of water has gone under the bridge since then. And uh, a $200 million company now is more like a $2 billion company if you talk about it in equivalent terms. Yeah. So one of the things I said during the week to to the people I was speaking with was that um, like $2 billion is the new $200 million. And what I mean by that is looking for great investments that have a market cap of $200 Million today is not actually prudent. I think that those businesses are too small to make any reliable call. Um, and then the next thing I would say is in looking for the next Dell, um, or indeed the next Netflix or the next um, great stock, um, you can look, but you must diversify and buy as many businesses that you believe have a good chance as possible and like any portfolio manager whether it's a venture capitalist or whether it's Warren Buffett or whether it's Peter Lynch or whether it's the three of us here acknowledges that with the best of judgement a few of the businesses you invest in are going to turn out to be dogs and a few will turn out to kind of match or slightly beat the market and then some will actually end up hopefully being the next Netflix. And and that's the portfolio approach that we advocate here and that we espouse and that we aspire for every one of our um, members and customers to work towards. So um, the the, the short answer is that we don't put a stock into My Wall Street without it being very well vetted by the three of us here, plus Mm. others downstairs. And we um, put a lot of thought into each one. And we, as our scoreboard shows, we don't always get it right, yep. but we get it right more often than not, which is great. So, I have a short list of stocks that I personally like at the moment. And what I would say is, I wouldn't dare say any of them are going to be the next Netflix, but what I would say is, they have attributes that I believe have them positioned to grow. Um, beyond the returns of the market in the five to ten years ahead. And these are the attributes you talk about quite often, I imagine. So like founder-led companies. Exactly. And um, yeah things like that exactly customer evangelists and and a future relevant product and uh, yeah there's a whole bunch of attributes uh which I'm pretty sure we have an explainer on our website yeah
1: well <laughs> well also in the in the learn app, I think we go through it quite um, comprehensively. oh absolutely and, absolutely like, it, it's probably important to note that just yeah. because a company has some of these attributes doesn't necessarily yes. make it a great investment either it's just a it's a good marker or a good indicator to uh-huh. look deeper.
2: <laughs> so we might we you know we we might again come at that uh, another time but yeah. we we have historically run six qualitative and six quantitative viewpoints on stocks. And it doesn't mean that every stock that looks exactly like Dell on the 1st of 1990 today will actually turn out to be a great investment. That might not be the case. So uh, it's not a mutually exclusive club that these companies all have these attributes. And the next thing I'll say before I dive in is that um, I might be wrong. Uh, i have 13 companies here that i particularly like and uh, as i said to my friends during the week i have a short list of the 13 which i'll also call out yeah. but um they may none may turn out to be uh even close to the next netflix yeah. so it is truly a rare event to invest in dell and when i happened across that dell observation if you like in in my early 20s it was cherry-picked, of course. I looked for, I probably Googled or whatever Google was at the time, what was the best investment of the last 10 <laughs> years? And I think my eyes popped out when I saw, you know, the returns that the market could actually bring an ordinary person like me. So um the stocks that I believe are look really good for a retail investor, that's us, uh, today. And I'm not saying they're cheap, but I think they're just wonderful businesses, Yeah. Um, are as follows. And I own shares in all but two of them. So, uh, Shopify, iRobot, The Trade Desk, Howzoo, uh, Viva, uh, Twilo, uh, Twilio, Twilio, Thanks, Rory. Um, <laughs> Arista, Atlassian, Teladoc, Bowzoon, Tesla, Stitch Fix, and Duluth. So yeah. there they are 13 companies uh, in which I have invested with, with the exception of the Trade Desk, regrettably, and Howzoo, regrettably as well. But um, So that's 13, and that's still a lot to get your head and wallet around. And yeah, yeah. I am not advising, suggesting, or trying to tip our listeners towards running out and getting their savings, smashing their piggy bank and distributing amongst those 13 businesses. Um, If I was to further have that list, there are ones that I prefer. And um, I'm a big fan of Shopify, iRobot, Viva, Arista, Atlassian and Tesla. Yeah. And I have shares in all six of those businesses. Yeah. So... I am not saying that one of those six or indeed 13 before stocks are the next Netflix. What I am saying is I'm invested in the ones I called out and I will be sticking with them through thick and thin. And I happen to believe that one, two, three, four of them will do inordin- inordinately well yeah. I just don't know which one, two or three will do inordinately well yeah. um, I, I, and again I, I could keep going and tell you what my absolute favourite is but that's actually an exercise in futility because yeah. we sit down as a team every month, we pick our stock of the month and unbiased we 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 debate them as you well know James and we say if we had only a thousand bucks on our lap now and there was a gun to our head to invest in only one company which one would we choose? And that process drives us with stock of the month. Yeah. And um by me kind of saying what my absolute favourite is at the moment, it just doesn't it it's it's not useful.
1: Yeah, that was that was very helpful. I think it is important to kind of see, you know, the Dells and the Netflix of the world as a good good analogy and a good example, but you know, you can obviously never Use it, it. History never repeats itself exactly. You know the next the next company that comes out like that, you can't. It's hard to to find it. And um, moving on from those companies you like then to our elevator pitch. So at the minute in the My Wall Street app, as you mentioned, Emmett, there are one hundred and one stocks live, and out of these there are twenty that are in the red since we've recommended them, which is a pretty good return by all means. Um, I have to say so my elevator pitch for you guys this week is which of the stocks that are currently in the red and on my Wall Street app do you like most at the minute and why so 60 seconds Uh, Emmett you talked for a long time there so Rory I'll let you go first okay
0: um, the company, there's a couple of companies I like that are in the red at the moment. I've mentioned Eventbrite earlier um, there, but the one I'm actually going to pick this time is called ShotSpotter. Yes. ShotSpotter is a leader in gun t- gunshot detection technology um, allowing gun allowing law enforcement to pinpoint where a gunshot comes from in a matter of seconds and can alert them to what kind of weapons are being used and if there's multiple shooters, which is vital for protecting first responders. Um, they launched it in a district in Chicago uh, about two or three years ago. They've seen a 50% reduction in gun gun crime since then. Uh, Milwaukee last year and instead had a 20% reduction in gun crime since launching with the service. Um, And I think just, it's a very small company at the moment, a $500 million uh, company. Um, And I just think if you use your imagination, you can easily see how this business has grow. Think of all the scenarios in which you want to protect people or animals uh, from the danger of gunfire. So there's a big opportunity in college campuses uh, major corporate campuses, school districts, sadly, um, and even national parks like yeah. the ones in Africa, which are being plagued by poachers. Um, so they're creeping towards profitability. They expect to be gap profitable this year on revenues of about 45 to 47 million. And that would put them about 12 times sales, 12 times sales at the current valuation, which for a business with high retention, it seems like a good deal to me. OK, very good shot spotter.
2: Emmett company do you want to go with? So I, as Rory said that, I realised we need to be a little more aligned because I also chose <laughs> ShotSpotter and rather than well, that's a good me, endorsement it actually is. And yeah. I think some of our listeners will value the viewpoint that I was about to give because okay. without any bias, evidently, I walked in and Rory and I would usually at least talk on the way up the stairs to the <laughs> studio. Um, <laughs> and on this instance, <laughs> yeah, we had, a, we had a tip. So um, I've also chosen ShotSpotter and I think it's a wonderful company. I think it's underloved, unwatched. They have a monopoly in the area in which they operate. And they have added new colleges, new cities and dozens of new net square miles of coverage with their technology. And just last quarter made just about $9.2 million. So why I like ShotSpotter as well is that they are unwatched by analysts on Wall Street they have a monopolistic um, hold on a technology that, frankly, the world needs and North America particularly needs. They are doing something good. They're doing it well. Their technology works. And um, I, I just, all I can say is um <laughs> next time I'll pick something different. But I think it's a nice endorsement to have two picks uh, that are the same.
1: Yeah, no, I'm actually
2: a shareholder in ShotSpotter too. I'm hey, So am I actually.
0: Yeah, so. And are you, Rory? No, but I think I will be seen. You found ShotSpotter, actually. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like shots so a lot. two, two one-minute endorsements of ShotSpotter there for our yes. later pitch, um, which is pretty good. Um, so that's about it from this week's Stock Club. Don't forget, as I mentioned already, there's tons of exclusive new investing content in the My Wall Street app at the minute, including the new stock, the expert opinion piece and the tax refunds article I mentioned earlier. So please make sure to check all of that out now. If you have anything that you would like us to discuss or some jargon for us to bust on the next episode, please get in touch with us on Twitter at MyWallStreet or email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. That's P-O-D at MyWallStreet.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd really appreciate a review on iTunes or whatever podcast player you listen to us on. It helps us get to a wider audience. From the three of us here today, see you in two weeks and thanks for listening.